Right, Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 4, just to bring our minds uh, back together. Isaiah writes concerning the servant. This is actually one of the servant psalms. In verse 4 it says, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with the word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as a disciple. And of course you notice in verse 5, he says the Lord did open his ear. He obeyed. Uh, verse 6, even to the point of giving his back to the smiters. And he goes on and talks there about the servant who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, one of the things that we brought out is that this was the habitual, um, I'm going to use the word devotional, that's not the correct word, but for our purposes, devotional life of our Lord. He awoke in the morning with an ear ready to follow and learn. And this afternoon as I was reviewing for today, I pulled a commentary off the shelf by uh, Moltier. And I just wrote down three things that he mentioned about in his commentary about verse 4. And one of those is he made this statement, which I thought was excellent. He said, Jesus Christ, the servant, is the disciple par excellence. So he is our model disciple. And I thought that that was, that was very helpful as a new slant on something as I was looking at him. Well, if he's the model disciple, then that becomes a pattern for us. Okay. Secondly, <clears throat> he woke his ear daily to hear. To hear. And James talks about being more ready to hear than to speak. I think most of the times we're more ready to speak than we are to hear. I know that is, uh, I remind myself if someone says, I want to talk to you, Pastor, one of the things I do besides praying is uh, many, many times I'll remind myself, now listen, don't talk. And um, that's hard to do sometimes when you're excited or you think you've got the answer. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times that I've met Christian people who have gone to talk to their pastor and they've gotten like two and a half sentences out of their mouth and the pastor's already figured out what they're going to say and given them a five-point outline on what they need to do. And that's frustrating, isn't it? But he's more ready to hear and his ear is open. And of course, he wasn't disobedient to what he was hearing. So he was a disciple. He was a follower, learner. Not just a learner, not just a follower with no knowledge being instructed, but a follower, learner. And then the third thing the commentary brought out was, and you'll notice here, it says, The Lord has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a what? with a word and he writes a proper tongue comes from an ear filled with the word of god you notice the connection he's hearing and being instructed 
so that he can speak properly. And you'll find generally that a word-filled believer is very careful about their speech. They just think about it, they ponder it, they talk <clears throat> talk in measured language because they want to make sure that what they're giving is a true witness of what God's mind would be on that situation. And <clears throat> so I just thought those three things as a reminder for us would be uh, very helpful and very encouraging as it was for mine uh, this morning as I was reading that paragraph out of that commentary. Now, last Wednesday, we looked at the first half of this sheet, reading the scriptures for spiritual profit, and we noted that I had gotten this handout many years before, and it had been adapted from a book entitled Heaven Taken by Storm by Thomas Watson. And there's a little section in there called How We May Read the Scripture with Most Spiritual Prophet. I'm not going to go and back over those that front page, but I do want to finish this by looking at the back of that page. When he says that as we are reading the scripture, we need to make use of Christ's prophetic office. And he says, Christ must be our teacher. In Luke 24, verse 45, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And I thought this was very, very helpful. It says, Christ opened not only the Scriptures, but also their understanding of the Scriptures. Both of those two things have to be combined. And folks, when those things happen, what you know is that Christ is loving you at that moment. Do we understand that? Sometimes we might say to ourselves, I just don't understand uh, God that's not loving me. This is how He loves us preeminently. Is that He opens up His Word, He gives us understanding, and then those words live in us. And it is interesting that in the book of John, when he talks about that revelation, that in John 17, he says, when he's praying to the Father, he says, I've given them your word so that your love may be in them. That's interesting, isn't it? So what we have here is Christ opening the scriptures to us, giving us an understanding. We engraft that word. And what happens is, is that we grow in our love. And that's our theme for the year, that our love may abound more and more in all wisdom and in genuine knowledge and discernment. So pray and ask Him to do that for you. Okay, as you you open the Bible. Secondly, for tonight, he writes, let your thoughts dwell on the most material passages of the Scripture. And basically what he's saying here is that as you read through the Bible, 
Some passages will have greater emphasis and some will be more lively in your heart and life. Some will speak to you more than others. And that will differ. That's one of the benefits of systematically reading through the Bible every year. Different things will jump out at you. And one of the things that I've gotten thus far just just reading the whole book of Exodus is that you know you begin to see like, oh, well, Joseph was the one who said, you know, take my bones back. Well, how many years later was it? And they take his bones back. Now, you try that with your children. You tell one of your oldest child now, when you, if you ever move to the other side of the Mississippi, I, I want you to take my bones and bury them over there. And then three generations pass. What what do you think your odds are of your bones going back over there? None. Okay, but here they honored their father and their mother. And so <clears throat> just know that at different points, different passages, the Holy Spirit may quicken them unto you more than others. That doesn't mean that if it's not quickened, that it's not doing anything. Sometimes Christian people, when they read their Bible, say, well, I read it, you know, I didn't get anything out of it, all I did was read it. Well, Revelation says that you get a blessing when you read it. Whether you feel it or not, right? You're blessed to do that. So let the Word of Christ go into your soul. Thirdly, Take special notice of the examples of Scripture making the examples living sermons to yourself. And he talks about looking at examples of God's judgment upon sinners or God's mercies to the saints. Let me just mention, when you're reading narrative and you're actually seeing the things the Lord is doing, it's not like, okay, here's point number one, point number two, point number three, point number four. But he just gives you a narrative. Okay, What the Lord is doing is, is he's showing you in that particular narrative his ways. His ways. And you, you're a blessed person when you learn his ways because then you can see him in life and in circumstances. So look at those examples. Look at what God is doing, whether it's judgment or mercies or communication or calling. Just look at those things and learn His ways. In connection with that, I'm always reminded in the book of Psalms, the Bible says that God led that nation like a shepherd leading sheep. And when I read that, I immediately thought, well, next time I read Exodus, I'm going to look for that because, you know, I'm an under-shepherd. I want to know His ways. How does the master shepherd shepherd the sheep? That'd be a good thing. That will change the way you read narrative. Next... Thomas Watson says, observe the commands as well as the promises. And I think his comment is instructive. 
he says, such as cast their eye on the promise with the neglect of the command are not edified by the Scripture, because if the only thing you look at are the promises that bring you comfort, you're missing a whole lot. Okay, That's like searching the Bible for sweets and then neglecting the meat and the vegetables. Okay, And God expects us to eat it all. Now, <clears throat> I just want to give you a little clue with that. God's food is always good. Okay. So partake of the whole Bible. Next, Thomas Watson says, <clears throat> compare yourself with what you read. See how the scripture and your heart agree. And <clears throat> I think sometimes, brethren, as I was thinking through this, I've encountered Christians and the only reason they read their Bibles is to find out what they're doing wrong. In other words, they're looking in their Bibles and waiting for something to jump out and make them feel guilty. And then they think, oh, God's spoken to me and so now I need to confess that and need to make some changes and then you know everything's good. Well, try this. Try looking for echoes of the Scripture in your own heart and life and delight in that. That would be a gift. Because not only would that be a gift to you when your life is an echo of the text in some measure, but it will also grant you greater assurance. Because you'll see who working in your life. The Lord working in your life. You know, lost people get convicted about certain things. They feel guilty about certain things. But what I want to see is the Lord working in me. All right, next, <clears throat> he says, Learn to apply the Scripture. Take every word as if spoken to you. Now, I want to comment just a little bit about that. Don't take every word as being about you. Uh, years ago, when I was in missions, there was a pretty widespread, I'm going to use this in quotations, call of God of men in my circles who wanted to go to Alaska. And they didn't want to just go anywhere in Alaska. They wanted to go to a particular city. They wanted to go to Bethel, Alaska. And you know what happened. They were reading in Genesis and came across in Genesis 35 God's instruction to Jacob to go to Bethel. Now, is that in the Bible? It's in the Bible. Okay. I don't think Thomas Watson means take those words as if it's spoken to you, so now you are to get up and go to Bethel. And the only Bethel that they figured out was needy was Bethel, Alaska. And I looked up some modern day statistics on the city of Bethel, Alaska. It's a little smaller than Richmond. It's about 50 square miles. So that's the size of this town. And today, there's about 6,270 people there. 
Now, when this was going on in my little sphere of influence, it was in the 80s, and in 1980, the population was 3,576. And at that time, I don't remember the exact number, <clears throat> there was about three to five men who wanted to go to Bethel, Alaska and plant a New Testament church. Now, surely, you know, 3,000 people, you, you know, if everybody got converted, you know, you would probably need, you know, that many churches there. Uh, but typically, <clears throat> um, I know I served in a little village, uh, New Concord, of about 2,000 at that time. And uh, we had about 3% of the population, and that's doing fantastic. Okay, so if you're going to do 3% of 3,500, what would that be? It would be about 90 people, 90 to 100 people. So, um, you know, it's hard to tell someone that God's not calling them to Bethel, Alaska. I mean, they got a verse, right? But more than likely, <clears throat> at least some of them, I'll just say, had mistaken their calling, even though that was really weighing on their hearts. So I agree in principle, take every word as if it's spoken to you, but take every word as it's spoken to you in the context in which it's given Next, take special notice of the scriptures which speak to your present personal situation in life. When you're reading through the Bible systematically, you might run across situations that are similar to your present life situation. And those really become a rich feeding place when that happens. Uh, for instance, he gives the example, are you in affliction? <clears throat> well, you could go to Hebrews 12, or you could go to 2 Corinthians 4. You could go to 2 Corinthians 1, the God of all comfort, right? Uh, you could go to the end of James. Any of you afflicted, let him pray, right? You go to all different kinds of places, but all of those places uh, might have a similarity upon particular situations there in your life. If I'm ministering to someone or someone has a particular problem, that's the first thing that I'm asking the Lord for. Are there similar passages in the Bible that address this particular situation in general? Because if there is, that's fantastic, isn't it? Because you can just go right there to that passage and just minister. And so as you go through the Bible, you might find that. And if you do, you want to tag that and maybe come back to it maybe in the evening and take a look at it. That may be the Lord's answer for you. Next, Thomas Watson says, <clears throat> Do not stop reading until you find your heart warmed. And I would change the word warm to engaged. Um, the word warm is so undefinable, right? How, how do you define John Wesley saying, my heart is warmed? <laughs> well, I'll tell you how you'll define it. You'll define it how you think it means for a heart to be warmed, which may or may not be exactly what happened. 
but what you're wanting is your heart engaged. Let God's Word not only inform you, but inflame you. And he says, don't go from it until you can say with the disciples, did not our heart burn within us? Now, again, I don't think that that's going to happen every time you read your Bible, okay? But I do think when you read your Bible, you can keep reading until your heart engages. Now, I'm going to tell you from personal experience that that might take minutes. It might take more than five minutes. It's, it's taken me as long as 10 or 15 minutes before my heart's been engaged for a good five or 10 minute reading. And what I mean by heart being engaged is that you're not distracted, you're not flitting around, you're not thinking about your phone, you're not wondering who's emailed you, you know, who's texted you, you're not just looking at the clock wondering, oh, when it, when, when's my next appointment? But you're engaged. You're engaged in, in the passage. So don't stop reading until you find your heart <clears throat> engaged. Next, remember what you read. I wish I could remember everything I read. Yes. Don't you? Yes. But <clears throat> what he means by this is to really give your mind to it. Meditate on God's words thereby memorizing it. Learn to think God's thoughts after Him. And I just want to emphasize that one little sentence. Meditate on God's words, thereby what? Memorizing it. It's different to say I'm going to memorize a passage versus I'm going to meditate on it and you're meditating on it so much that you end up memorizing it. You want to meditate on it. What I mean by meditate on it? Well, what I mean is just mull it over in your mind and ask God questions about it. Think about it. Think about the words that are there. Let those words form a mental picture in your mind. If I say the vine and the branch, don't you have a mental picture? Okay, well think about it. Think about it as if you were in your backyard looking at a vine. Okay, think on that. Think about what it means for a vine and a branch to be together. Where does the branch get its nourishment? From the vine. And you can think about that. You can think about that and say, ah, oh, yeah, you know, at the end of that branch, there's fruit. Well, how did that happen? The nourishment came through the vine. But doesn't that teach you something in John 15? We can do nothing apart from Him. No fruit born apart from Him. So meditate on God's words. I remember one time I was teaching on this, and it was in my former ministry. It's the first time I, I was teaching through it. So we took John 15, the first uh, four verses, I think, <clears throat> and I just said, all right, <clears throat> Stand up and ask a question that you'd like to know about the, those particular verses. And 15 minutes later, they were still asking questions. We were just writing them down. And it started out as simple as, what is a vine? Who is the vine? Right? Can you imagine 15 minutes? That's called meditation. 
when you ask the Lord those questions about the text, and then the Holy Spirit will teach you by bringing things to your mind so that you will understand more. Everybody see what I'm saying here? Meditate, and then you end up memorizing it. Next to last, he says, meditate upon what you read. Reading brings a truth into our heads, and meditation brings it to our hearts. And he gives some illustrations here. And that is true. Lastly, <clears throat> obey what you read. And he quotes Deuteronomy 17, verse 19. He shall read in the book of the law all the days of his life that he may learn to keep. Learn to keep. In other words, folks, the Bible will give you the motivation to obey too. It will not only tell you what to obey, it will motivate you to do that if you will meditate on it and then obey it. And don't you love that last, next to last little sentence here? Christians should be walking, walking Bibles. And, and folks, you don't become, as it were, a walking Bible overnight. You start out where you're at. And you realize how far short you fall, thinking God's thoughts after Him all day long and all night long. That's how we're to meditate, right? Psalm 1, meditate in His law day and day and night. And the only person who's ever done that is Christ. That's the goal. You can go from where you are and you begin to learn to meditate. You begin to learn to feed on those verses. You learn to ask the questions about those verses. You learn that to hear. This is prayer and Bible. You know, um, who was the man? I think it was Charles Hodge's son. Anyway, someone asked him about his prayer time and his Bible time. And he made this comment. This is a paraphrase. He says, what? A Bible time and a prayer time? Why not both together? And that's what you're doing when you're meditating. You are meditating on the Bible. The Bible's God's voice to you, right? God's speaking to you. You're meditating on that voice. And then as you're meditating, the Holy Spirit opens up your understanding and gives you insight. That's the Holy Spirit teaching you. And folks, sometimes when the Holy Spirit teaches you, He might bring to your mind another passage. That's more fun. Now you've got two verses you're meditating on. And seeing how the Lord interlocks all of that. Christians should be walking Bibles. Now I hope that this little sheet is an encouragement to you. And like I said, it's not the Mosaic Law, right? It's not a code sent from God. But it is a Christian's attempt 
to lay out some things so that when we read, we're reading really with a spiritual prophet and not just randomness in our reading. If there's anything on here that I would suggest for you to do that would give you the most profit is meditate on what you read. That will really open the gateway for you. And may the Lord encourage you in 2023 in these things. And remember, as we mentioned before, that Jesus said, I gave them your words so that the love wherewith you love me may be in them and I in them. We want in 2023 our love to abound more and more. How's that going to happen? You meditating more and more in 2023 and allowing that Word to enlarge your heart and grant you the precious, holy, unique love of God. Let's go.